evening. Good to see all of you. Um, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that we sang the songs that we sang. Tonight we're going to begin a new series called The Summer of Love. Summer of Love. Summer of Love. We're going to talk more about Summer of Love in a moment. But I just want to remain in that place um, because I'm hearing the echo of Jesus' words when he told his disciples to remain in me. And he says, remain in my love, just as I remain in my Father's love, and he remains in you. So can we just take a minute, um, just if you've been running like me all day or all week, um, would you just take a moment to take a deep breath, and would you just pray quietly, silently in your heart, Lord, remain in me as I remain in you. Remain in me as I remain in you. Because, Lord Jesus, apart from you, we can do nothing. And, Lord, we can't come and follow you if we don't first come to you. If we set off on our own without you, we have no idea where we're headed, and we can do more harm than good to ourselves and to others. So we need to start by remaining in you. You showed us what that looked like. You got a way to be with your Father, to hear the voice of the one that called you a beloved Son who pleases our Father that you came and revealed so perfectly. We pray, Lord, that we would, in some small way, reveal the love of our Father to this world who is desperate to know what true love is. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, the vine, in whom we remain. Amen. Amen. First John, we're going to be in First John 5. We'll backtrack a little bit to First John 4. And so let's get back into this summer of love. What comes to your mind when you hear summer of love? Do you see this? Oh, my goodness. Yo, DJ. Dude. Eight people just said Greece. I said, we're going to play Greece because if you're like me, even though I named this thing Summer of Love all week, I've been in First John toe-tapping this dumb Greece song. I even typed into iTunes Summer of Love, Greece, but it's summer nights. So for the next several weeks, we're going to have this playing in the background of every one of these sermons as we explore what it means to love God and love others with a cross-shaped love. No. I asked, what did you think of? And like eight people said this song. I just wanted to play that song. That has nothing to do with any kind of intro. Summer of Love has nothing to do with Greece, the old school one, or that really incredible live one. Who saw the live Greece? Of course, this person did. Y'all need to go see the live Grease. It's on Netflix. It's pretty awesome. Summer of Love has nothing to do with Grease, even though I've mentioned Grease like eight times in the last one minute. 
But the thing is this, when I think about Greece and summer of love and summer nights, we've got to know that our culture is obsessed with love. It's obsessed with uh, shows uh, about the drama of relationships. It's obsessed with the romantic comedies. And we're just obsessed as Americans to say, oh, I love that. I love it. We have all these ideas. It's omnipresent in our culture. But of course, you know, as Christians, when we say that love is central to who our God is, and love is central to our life with God, and love is central to what Jesus says it means to follow him, we've got to actually spend a lot of time then dealing with love. Because in our culture, it's such a confusing, though omnipresent cult, uh, topic. You know, because we can think that summer of love or love in general is about some kind of high school sweethearts meeting on a beach. We can think that love is about the kind of emotional feelings you have when you encounter someone and you begin to con conceive of being with them in a married relationship, a dating relationship. You can love your dog. You can love tacos. You can love all of these things. So if love is central to who God is, if love is central to our life with God, if love is central to following Jesus, we could always do well to say, what is it? that is distinctly Christian about love. Forget the culture for a moment. We all get love in the culture. We're going to spend the next several weeks with a break or two as we go looking at loving neighbors, our actual physical neighbors. We're going to spend a couple weeks on loving enemies because that is a distinctly Christian way of loving. All the religions of the world have some manner of the golden rule, but only, Christian, only Christianity, only Jesus calls people to love enemies. So we should spend a couple weeks talking about this. When we send out those sermon um, and just kind of learning, equipping surveys, a lot of you were really keen on what is all this nonviolence and, you know, kind of loving your enemies all about. So we're going to spend a couple weeks on loving enemies. We're going to talk about, you know, loving our family. We're going to talk about loving our church family. We're going to talk about loving the outcast, the least, because God is always looking for the most marginalized people. And so we're going to be talking about all these relationships to others and how we are to love them. But if we want to build a solid house on loving others, it's got to be built on a solid foundation of looking at what it means to love God. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What summarizes all the 613 laws in the Old Testament? They asked Jesus, what's number one numero uno? Uno. What did he say? Love the Lord your God with what? Heart, what? Mind, soul, strength. And the second is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. We can all repeat this, but we need to live this. Now, we're not doing the greatest commandment tonight. You can go back. We've got lots of sermons on the greatest commandment. Tonight, we're going to turn to the apostle of love in summer of love, and we're going to build a foundation about love with John's words on loving God. And we see some profound things about God and hopefully, I think we're going to get down this evening, we're going to define the word love that will be our foundation for the remainder of this series, and we're even going to get at what does it mean to love God? 
Because you grew up, and maybe if you grew up in church, you're told, love God. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. But isn't it difficult to love an unseen being? Isn't it difficult, especially when you've been fed the cultural definitions of love about emotionality and all these things? What does it mean to love God? John will help us. Let's look in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Let's start there and see what he has to say. Beginning in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. He takes it a step further, really zero in on verse 3. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Belief, faith, love, these are John's favorite words in one of my favorite books, and he's always seeing that love of God and love of others are mingled and mixed with our faith, with our belief that Jesus is king, and we see that loving God and loving others is inseparable. So let's look briefly at verse 1 again and see how we can sort out what he's after with loving God. Because we can't go love our enemies if we don't know what it means to love God. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. So how do you know that you love the children of God, those who've been born of God? The answer is in verse 2. Can you all look with me? This is how we know that we love the children of God. you all see that? What does it say? By loving God. So how do you love others? How do you love God's children? You love God. He's saying... If you love God, there is something we're going to see in these next few moments that is overflowing in you and out to others. John is certain that if you love God, it is going to propel you into love of others. If you don't believe me, I'll show you in just a moment. But first, let's keep walking through this little paragraph. So, how do you know then you love God? Are you with me? Look back in 1 John. How do you know you love God? The answer is in verse 3. In fact, this is love for God. What does yours say? I can't hear you, sorry. The fans are going. To what? Keep his commands. Now, we're getting somewhere. What does it mean to love God? He says to keep his commands. Now, this is where you stop. You hit the emergency brake, you screech to a halt because we're in America, and if I'm going out to love my wife, it's going to seem odd to say, well, then I'm going to keep her commands. Isn't that a strange definition we see at the outset of love? John says, this is love for God, that you keep his commands. What does he have in mind? Well, the first thing you need to see is this. 
Loving God involves keeping his commandments. And it's a way of saying, look, it is an active, physical choice. If loving God is to keep his commands, there is a physicality, a doing, an enacting that involves love. So to, to love an unseen being, you are to keep his commands and to try to love the way he's loved. You try to follow the way that he has laid out for us. You try to be sacrificial and through his love and through his power, you're forgiving. You are putting Truth, love, in action. If you love God, you're putting his way before your way, and this goes way beyond emotions. Let me put this in a physical sense, okay? When I, and when I stood in front of my wife six years ago, and we were going to be married, we stood in a church similar to this, and we faced each other, and we were boohooing like babies. David was there. He can attest to this. We were crying so many happy tears it wasn't even funny because we just couldn't believe that even though we had been together for so long that we were standing in this place and we were about to profess our love, our vows to one another. So imagine six years ago we're face to face and I say, I promise, I vow to love you, to honor you, to support you, to serve you, to on and on it goes. And we made this beautiful vows and we wipe our happy tears away and we go off in my 03 Saturn Ion with a crack in the windshield to uh, our honeymoon. And from that moment on, for the next six years, I never speak to her. I completely disrespect her. I completely just go off the reservation. I am not faithful to her. And I just completely disown and discredit her. Even though I vowed to love her for my whole life. Is that love? Well, what about my vow? Does it matter then? Does my emotion to her matter then? What John is after is this. If you say you love God, you are going to live in a way that validates more than just your words. Action validates that vow. True love requires action. So John starts with the first thing we've got to understand is loving God involves keeping his commands. And if you're still not convinced, when Jesus says to love your enemies... What kind of warm fuzzies do you have for someone who is going to kill you? Can, can emotion save the day there? If love is simply an emotional kind of or even physical, passionate kind of thing? If Jesus says to love your enemies, you've got to see that it involves something beyond just the intangible emotions that our culture continues to feed us. True love requires action. True love to love God involves action, and that is keeping his commands. So keeping his commands is square one. And John's got more on love, and we've got more to suss out in what it means to love God. So... I want to move backwards to chapter 4, and I want to really strongly encourage you to this week look at chapter 4 in 1 John. There is beginning in verse 7, I see one paragraph, then I see beginning in 13, two paragraph, I see um, beginning in verse 16, three paragraphs. And then I see in verse 19, four paragraphs. And then we get into the text we just read, chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, which is five paragraphs. 
Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, if you just jam on one paragraph, it's a lengthy treatment on what it means to love God and how it is so inseparable from loving others, you will be able to get up here and preach the rest of this series because if you jam on that, if you meditate on that, if you get that into your bones, you could spend the rest of your life and you would do just fine. It's his way of putting that greatest commandment, love God, love others, into some kind of beautiful words, and it just you could spend your whole life jamming on it. So I want to just hit the highlights because you're going to read it this week, yeah? You're going to remain in his love. You're going to remain in these words. So I'm just going to hit the highlights, and if you're taking notes, we're going to have some stuff to write down and some verses to write down as we look at what John is up to. If square one is keeping his commands... Let's try to fill that out and broaden that. What does that mean then to love and to be obedient? Okay, this is what he says in 1 John 4, 7, the beginning of your homework assignment. Let us love one another. Why? For love comes from God. Two observations about love. Love originates with God. Love comes from God. This is what he said. It comes from Him, and the love that we give to others is borrowed from God and recycled out to others. I didn't drum it up. It came from Him. So observation number two, we see love from God gives us the ability and the motivation to love others. Love comes from God, and if He's given it to us, we have the ability to show that love in action to others. You with me? And then He says, love one another. Why? Because love comes from God. You should look to God, see God, know God, who gives all the world life and breath and being, and you should say, that's a pretty loving creator. Even though this world is pretty screwed up, he still, as the Bible says, makes the rain fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. And he says that Jesus, when the fullness of time came, still came and died for his enemies. Look to this God, and it should motivate you to say, if the Son of God can do it, if the Creator God can do it, I can too for my person at work and in my home and that difficult person that I continue to see and don't want to see. Surely, if I behold this God, it will motivate me to put away my side, my way, and to love others. Love originates from God, and this love from Him gives us the ability and the motivation to love others. We're the we're the spit, excuse me, the spitting image of our Father when we love like this. This is a major theme in 1 John. Moving on, 1 John 4, 8, and I'm going to sandwich that with 1 John 4, 16, because he uses this incredible phrase, and you've heard it before. Look at it. Whoever does not love does not know God, okay? So if you ain't loving, you must not know God. Why? Because God is love. There's a French philosopher named Simone Weil that lived uh, maybe a hundred years or so ago. And she said this beautiful quote. She said, God is love the way an emerald is green. And that is to say, he just is. An emerald is just, it's like synonymous with green. Through and through, at the core, if you drill down to the center of the molten lava core of who God is, you find love. So, you can tease that out like the spokes of a bicycle wheel, and God is loving in His holiness. God is loving in His justice. 
God is loving in his wrath, his burning anger against sin. Well, how can that be? Because he loves this world so much, it drives him to be angry at the fact that we keep messing it up. He can even be loving in his wrath. But we get all messed up because we say, no, God is holy, he is wrath, and he's some kind of schizophrenic being that is one thing one day and another thing one day, and he's just some kind of immovable, emotionless robot, and he is all of these nice things depending on who you are. If you're in, he's love. If you're out, he's wrath. No. Of all the things that John could say, don't lose the fact that he says God is love. God is holy. God is faithful. God is merciful. But he is loving in his faithfulness. He is loving in his mercy. He is loving through and through, just like an emerald is green. God is love. Of all the things he could say, God is love. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you want to see what love looks like in action, the God who is love fully revealed himself in Jesus, who is the image, the exact representation of his being, to quote Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, write it down if you don't believe me. So if you want to know what God, who is love, looks like, look at Jesus. Oh, we want to look everywhere else. We want to, we want to talk to the guy on your lunch break that's telling you, man, but what about all this stuff in the Old Testament? He says, that is a shadow of the full revelation of Jesus who comes and who chooses not to kill, but rather to be killed. He chooses not to ostracize people, but to welcome people. He chooses not to give people cancer, but heal them of cancer. So when you hear some kind of distortion of the God who is love that looks unloving, or who is responsible for the murder and abuse of children, that, to me, is a monstrous distortion of the God who is love. If he is responsible for those things, I think that is a blasphemous and bankrupt theology because you're blaming God for the works of evil and Satan that Jesus himself, who is the image of God, came to destroy. And I read a blog this week called Did God Give Me Cancer? And it made me want to scream and punch my laptop because someone who's a leading voice in this world talks about a God who looks more like a monster from the worst summer movie we'll see than a God who is love. And I love in this church that we've come to a journey and we've come to a place that says, would Jesus sit by somebody with cancer or sit by somebody who's dying, who's just wrecked, who's desperate, and say, well, God has a mysterious plan and he's planned every single detail for his glory. Jesus would weep with that person and Jesus would say, maybe not today, but someday I'm going to make all things new and I'm going to make every tear disappear and I'm going to make everything right because even in my justice, even in my judgment, I am love. God is love through and through like an emerald is green. If you don't get this, you will not go out and love the outcast. You're going to have some kind of theology that says, because God is holy, I can't go and do this. So however we build this thing, you're not going to love gay people if you let their sin be the barrier that Jesus came to destroy. And he says, hey, whosoever will, will come. Gay, straight, whatever. We need to be a people who are relentlessly loving others, regardless of their background, regardless of their baggage, we need to be relentlessly loving others because we are children of the God who is love. So to know God, to know this God, John will say in chapter 4 that you're reading this week, because I'm not, because I'm already talking longer than I wanted to, but this is good and I have to. 
Preach on. Thanks, Sid. To know this God is to know love and to be able to love. Why? Because he said, if you're not loving, you must not know God. So if you want to be able to love, you got to know the God who is love. Yes? This is what John is just so emphatic about. You must know the God who is love. But so many of our people don't even like God because they have these bankrupt visions of what he's like. There's a story that so gripped me from a Catholic spiritual writer. He was a spiritual director, and a 70-year-old nun came to him. She took her sacred vows when she was in her early 20s, and for 50 years she served the church, the Catholic church, as a nun. And for 50 years she was never taking communion because she would try to skirt away and do this. And if you know Catholics, you know that the Eucharist is central, and you know that it is so vital to the salvation in their system And they're just convinced of this, and it's so powerful. It's so beautiful. That's why you go to Mass. Mass is a word for the communion. That's it. And she's not taking it for 50 years. Why? Because they're praying the Our Father. She's talking about the Father, the Father, the Father. And her father abused her for decades before she went and married Jesus in the church and served as a nun. And when she was 70 years old, she finally knocked on this spiritual director's door crying at a conference. She'd spent 50 years of her life running from the God who is love, even within the church. She served him, but she didn't love him because she didn't even like him because her daddy screwed up big time. And she came to this man. She knocked on his door, and with tears in her eyes, she says, I'm so tired of running. I don't even like God. Don't, I, I, we pray the Our Father every day, and it just kills me. And he said, I just want you to go and for 40 days pray this prayer. Abba, I belong to you. Abba is what Jesus taught us to pray. Jesus who revealed the God who is love. He says, you want to know what God is like? He is like our Abba. And the Holy Spirit who is within us gives us the ability to cry out and say, Abba, like Papa, Daddy. And for 40 days, Abba, I belong to you. Abba, I belong to you. Abba, I belong to you. And little by little, She let her Abba break through and show her, reveal to her, the God who is love, the Father who is love, when so many other fathers aren't. But we've got to start with this conversion experience that says, God, you are love, and there is nothing that I can do that would separate me from your love if I am in Jesus, your Son. Speaking of his Son... We look at 1 John chapter 4 in uh, verse 12. He says, this is love. That means pay attention. Very rarely in our Bibles do we get something so straight up Webster's Dictionary for us. This is love. Ah, summer loving, emotions, good vibes, good feelings. All you need is love. No, not that we loved God. Right? Because love comes from who first? God. But that he loved us and what? Sent his son. 
as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love is sacrificial. Love is action. Love is beyond feelings, although it can encompass our feelings. It is our feelings that move us to act. And so we look and say, okay, we're getting there now. God is love, and his love is sacrificial. God loved us that he gave. But watch this. He gave something that cost. If he has $100, he doesn't just give you 10 cents. He gives you all of it. And so here, finally, is our definition of love. And you've heard it before, but you're going to hear it again if you've been involved in this church. Love, then, taking all that the apostle, of John, the apostle of love, John, has said about love, all that we look back to Jesus in his actions, in his way of saying things like, if you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you'll follow me. Love is this. Ready? Love is relating to another as valuable even at cost to yourself. Did God relate to us as valuable even when we were enemies? Yes. Did God relate to us as individual people that he loved and created? Yes. Love is relational. And then finally, even and maybe especially if it costs you something. Because if it costs you something, you're really moving, you're really acting, and you're obeying God who told us, Greater love, Jesus said, has no man than this, that he lay down his life for others. And he didn't just say it, he showed it. So loving God then, what does it mean to love God? Using that definition, using the example of Jesus, using the words of Holy Scripture in 1 John, the apostle of love. Here is my thesis for you this evening. Loving God, yes, involves keeping his commands, but it is so much more than that. And here's what I commend to you. What does it mean to love God? Loving God is to abide in his love, remain in his love, that is to know the God who is love. You with me? To abide in his love and then to value him above all else. Because he says, you're going to obey my commands. So to value him is to say, okay, I'm going to sacrifice my way for his way. So to love God is to abide in his love to value him above all else, and to sacrifice your way for his way. Your way for his way. To know the God who is love is to love the God who is love, and it compels you and leads you out to love others. And John, to go back to the first paragraph we started with, to love God is to keep his commands, to keep journeying with him to remain in his love to sacrifice your way and then we find now his commands are not burdensome because Jesus said my yoke is easy my burden is light he says his commands are not burdensome for everyone born of God overcomes the world you overcome the world you overcome sin and who is it that overcomes the world only the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God I'm going to close with this everything we're going to talk about with love is a cross-like love. What is love that is distinctly Christian? It is love that is sacrificial and it costs us something. The cross Jesus related to us in this world is valuable even though it was wrecked with sin and under the dominion of evil. He still related to us as valuable. Love costs God something. And so if we're going to love others, it's going to look like the cross because it cost him his life. So many people in our lives, even you tonight, 
may be afraid that God's love is conditional. And I'm here to tell you that it is unconditional. This week, we had two precious foster kids. Many of you guys met them. And what we did is what we do with our two little girls. And that is we had a kind and loving jar. And every time they would obey our commands, every time they would love others, every time they would share, every time they would do this without being asked, they would take a little poof, and they would get so fired up about which color poof they're going to get. Poof. And they put it in the jar. And when they put it in the jar and it filled up to the rubber band, then we get to go get ice cream, which means I win too. So I love when they love. Because they get poofs, they fill up this thing. And I got to thinking, I want to just say this at the end of this message. Whether that jar was full or empty, my girl's obedience would never change my love for them. Ever. And John began this saying, look, if somebody loves the father, they're going to love his kids. If you love the father, you love his son. And John read earlier, what father is going to give his kid a scorpion if they ask for a loaf of bread? God is not out to get you. God is for you. Don't undersell how rich his grace is. Don't underestimate the power of the love that he has for you in Christ. And don't ever underemphasize the truth that Colt reminded us of last week, that nothing, no thing can separate you from the love God has for you in Christ Jesus. There's no sin too great, no condemnation too great. He has bridged the gulf. He has broken down every barrier because the cross showed us what love is. So, I pray that you would Fall in love with the God who is love, and it would lead you, compel you out to love others. And I pray as we begin this journey, Lord, that we would be a church that is not known for its size, known for its worship, known for its preaching, known for its people, known for whatever name or uh, thing that we do in this city. I pray that we would be known for love, a wholesale, incredible, ridiculous, sacrificial love for you that leads us to a wholesale, ridiculous, radical, sacrificial love for any and everyone we meet. Because that's what we saw in Jesus. He didn't ask them to clean up before they came. He went to them and he said, come, just as you are, and see and experience. Give yourself to me this love that is so powerful, immeasurable, height and breadth and depth you can't even fathom. We pray that we would be messengers of that good news that Jesus has rescued the world and he's inviting all to come. So this evening, may we come and remember the sacrifice of Jesus, his body, his blood, that we would take it into us, not just because it's another night and it's what we do, but that we would take the bread, we would take the blood, and we remember that we are forgiven, that we are loved, and we are his. So all who are in Christ, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing. Heavenly Father, you, entru- you entrusted your son Jesus, the child of Mary, to care, for jo- to care of Joseph, an earthly father. Bless all fathers as they care for their families. Forgive the fathers who have distorted our image of Abba. Restore us in your living em- loving embrace. For, th- for those relationships that are strained, grant grant reconciliation where there is pain bring healing for those unable to have their own children 
Fill their hearts with your amazing love. Bless their ministry and their roles of being a father to others. Give our dads strength and wisdom, tenderness and patience. Support them in the work they have to do, protecting those who love them. As we, as we look to you, our Father, for love and salvation through Jesus Christ, our rock and defender. Amen. Go in peace.